Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Good morning. How are you all this morning? Yeah, anybody not plan for that loss of hour of sleep? I didn't, I didn't plan for that one. Uh, but hey, I am so glad you're here. Whether you are in person with us today or whether you're online, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm happy that you're here. Um, where we're looking today, I think is, is awesome. For wherever you are in your faith journey, whatever's going on in your life, wherever, maybe your, your relationship with the Lord is, is in, a, in a season of drought, or maybe it's full and you're great. Maybe you're not so sure about this, this whole church thing, this relationship with Jesus thing. Maybe you're a guest here in person. Maybe you're a guest online or you stumbled across it on Facebook or on, on YouTube. Either way, I think the message today is, is for you. For wherever you are, it is for you. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited where we're going today. Um, this something has, has kind of been on my heart a good bit in the past, um, past season of my life. And it's been, it's been really great to study this and to see, see what the Lord is doing in it. Uh, so last week, we, we talked, we were obviously in the, in the kingdom series, and Pastor Jeremy, at the end of his message last week, to challenge, challenged us to pray to send workers out into the harvest, right? We looked at the scripture where it says, the harvest is plentiful, uh, but the workers are few. And so we were praying that God would send harvesters, the, the workers out into the harvest, that, that they may do the will of, of God, that they would do the work uh, that God has called them to do. And so if you did that this week, my hopes is, as we dive into Scripture today and we look at a few of the encounters that we're going to look at, is that maybe helps come a little bit more clear. And maybe it isn't just about sending workers out into the harvest of like, yeah, that's for other people to do, or yeah, that's something I, I really hope that happens, but maybe it's something that stirs in your heart that says, hey, maybe this is where I step in. Maybe it's where I take that next step of faith. Maybe it's where I go and say, all right, you know what? God has placed me in this sphere of influence for a purpose. This is something we talked about at our winter weekend with our students a couple weeks ago, that there's often times where places where God has put us intentionally with the skills that we have, with the gifts that we have, the people that he's surrounded us with, the passions that he has given us. And he said, hey, this is, this is where I have you. It's on purpose. And for us, it's an opportunity to, to see what God is doing, to see the people around us, to see their stories and say, hey, I, I, I can't sit by anymore. Something has to be done. And so, this week, as we think about where we're going, we're going to be talking about this idea of expectation versus reality. And this is something that's this real to all of us, right? There's, there's things that we, uh, sometimes we can expect, but when reality hits, we're like, oh, this is, this is different. Uh, and, and some of this is, maybe it's a movie or a book. You think a movie is coming out, and you're like, oh, this is going to be really, really good. I'm super excited about this movie. And then you go watch it, and you're like, that was terrible. That was a horrible movie. Reality sets in, you're like, that was not as good as I thought it was going to be. It didn't live up to, to, uh, to my expectations or what I thought was going to happen. Uh, I think the, the biggest culprit of this are fast food restaurants. How many of you, you have all been to fast food restaurants? You're going through the drive-thru. How awesome did the food look on the drive-thru, Right? You're seeing that, that beautiful picture of box of fries with everyone is picking out and they're golden. And then you pull out of the, 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 uh, the box of fries out of the bag and they're just like, eh, like that's, that's not as good as it looked on the picture. Or the, or the Big Mac burger at McDonald's, it's beautiful. It's stacked up, it's straight, and then you get it and it's 
kind of soggy and shifted, and the cheese is kind of on the other side of the box, and it's just not what you thought it was going to be. Our expectations oftentimes are different than our reality. On the flip side, sometimes our expectations are much lower. We say, you know what, I don't expect much of this. This isn't, this isn't going to be good, or it could be good, I'm not really sure. But then what happens is so much greater than we could possibly imagine. It's bigger than we could possibly imagine. I want to tell you a story about this that happened for me. Uh, we've all heard of the, of, the, of the Great Pyramids, right? Kind of considered one of, the, one of the wonders of the world. We've seen pictures of it. If I've told you to close your eyes, you could picture those pyramids in your mind right? I'm sure you've seen videos of it. I'm sure you've seen photos of it. Uh, You could probably describe it and probably give a couple facts about it. We know about the pyramids. Incredible story. I thought they were cool. I had an expectation. I had an opportunity to serve on one of our mission teams over in Egypt a few years back. Uh, And some of you guys, as I start telling the story, you're going to be like, oh yeah, that was was really cool. Uh, I knew we were going to go see these pyramids. I knew we were going to have a chance to, to be up and, and actually experience them. This is kind of a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me. And I was like, man, I'm, I can't wait to see it. And we were, throughout the week, we were seeing different things. We were seeing smaller pyramids. We were going down into pyramids, which was kind of crazy. And we were seeing hieroglyphics that were thousands of years old. And I'll never forget just walls covered, filled with like this blue ink or blue paint or dye. And it was just, just unreal. I thought this was some of the coolest things that I've seen, that we would see history right in front of us. And they actually let you touch it. I felt like you shouldn't, but they let you touch it. And I did, uh, just to say I did. Uh, but then we finally get to these pyramids. We were on the bus, and we even start seeing them from a distance. I'm like, those are, some, those are bigger than the other pyramids that we've looked at. Like, those are, those are getting big. And the closer and closer that we got to them, like, I was just like, this is, this is better than I expected. And we walked up, and I was walking up. It got so big that you couldn't even see the top. It was massive. And I started going on my mind, like, how could people with limited tools and limited resources, build this. Like, this is incredible. And then you get up to it, and you're actually putting my hands on the stones, and it's just unreal. My expectations were here, but the reality of experience that was so much higher. It was unreal, better than what I expected. And even a little bit later, we get on these, uh, we, we go a little bit ways away, and we get on these camel rides. And the guy said the camel that I wrote, his name was Casanova. Uh, I don't know if that's really his name. I'm pretty sure he just tells names, so whatever he thinks the audience in which who is riding that camel would find fun or funny. Uh, But so I rode Casanova, and I remember we were going out into the desert, and I was riding a camel, like, in front of me, the Great Pyramids, and it was just one of the coolest experiences of my life, of something that I will, I was burned into my mind that I'm not going to forget. It was an expectation that I had where the reality was so much bigger than I imagined. And so why do I tell you about this? Why do we talk about this idea of expectation versus reality? Uh, because Jesus, when he was here on his earthly ministry, often dealt with this idea of expectation versus reality. A lot of the Jews or the Israelites or the Pharisees or, or, or people in that time had an expectation of what a Messiah might look like or what a teacher would look like or what is the expectations of somebody like Jesus, uh, what, what is he here to do? And even his disciples kind of wondered, like, well, you know, he's told us a little bit about what he's here to do, but, like, what does that mean? Uh, we have an idea of what a king does. Well, we, you know, we, we know our kings. We, we, got, we had David. We had, we had a, we've seen great kings. But what is, what is Jesus going to do? Is he going to be like David? Is he another David? Or is he going to be like one of the Pharisees? Is he going to come with, with guns blazing and armies in hand and, and just come and, and change things as we know it? Many people thought 
that that was what he was going to do. But Jesus, as, uh, as we see here today, is changing the expectation. The reality, the truth that he is presenting is different than what many people thought. And this is not new. Uh, one of, you, you see this a lot, um, especially coming out of Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of kind of Jesus' his, his big messages. Uh, he says things like, you have heard it said, fill in the blank, but I tell you this. You have heard it said this way, or another way to say it, well, well culturally, this is, might be the expectation, or you might expect it to go this way, but I'm here to tell you something a little bit different. And he has quite a few. So he talks about this, about the law. He says, uh, you, you thought maybe I was here to abolish the law, but no, I'm not here to abolish the law. I'm here to fulfill the law kind of changing the expectations. He says this about murders. You've heard it said this way. He says it about adultery, divorce, making oaths or telling the truth, kind of the, the idea of like letting your yes be yes and your no be no. He said, you've heard it said this way. And he says, uh, an eye for an eye. But then he also says, you've heard it this way, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. He's kind of taking this idea of what is expected and flipping it upside down on what on, on what other people were thinking. I was, I was debating this message. I was, I was talking with Paula, our, our, our office administrator. I said, hey, I'm, I'm trying to find the best sermon title uh, for, for my message, and I was struggling with it. And the first one I came up with was the upside-down kingdom because many people had an expectation of what Jesus was there to do, but Jesus many times flipped it upside down, flipped the script and said, hey, it's different than what you think. Now, I didn't land on that. Well, as you see in the bulletin, is the idea of a kingdom full of strays. And that, we're going to get to that in a little bit here. But we're going to look at another couple encounters here where it's moments where Jesus essentially says, you've heard it said this way, or you think this, or I, I know that you're, you're expecting this, but I'm here to tell you something a little bit different. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 and 19 today. Uh, and looking at a few encounters of people. Things that, uh, that Jesus was doing here. And uh, I'm titling this section, The People He Met and the Onlookers' Opinions. We're looking at four encounters uh, of Jesus, starting in verse, uh, chapter 18. We're going to be in uh, verse 15. Um, so right before this, Jesus is spending time with people, kind of a mixed audience. There's Jews, there's tax collectors, there's sinners, there's Pharisees, there's people that are listening to Jesus teach, and it's, it's a mixed bag of people. Uh, and he's telling them things that are drastically different than what they might have heard from their religious teachers at the time, uh, what they may have experienced in culture, um, and people are in awe. And now you have two typically groups of people. Now the Pharisees and the religious leaders at the time, they were not so happy about this new reality that Jesus is talking about. And some of these people who were kind of social outcasts, like these tax collectors, like these sinners, they're like, hold on a minute, this, this is better than I expected. This is different. I, I want to learn more about this. Uh, and so the first one we're going to look at in verse 15, it says people were bringing infants to him, so he might touch them, infants to Jesus. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. So as you can see, they've heard of the miracles that Jesus did, the healings that he did, and people were like, I want, I want my, my children, I want my kids to experience this. Maybe it's sickness, maybe it's illness, maybe it's blessing, whatever it might be, I want my kids to experience this. We can all relate to this, right? We want good things for our kiddos. Uh, I, I'll tell you a quick story, I won't go into a whole lot of detail, but I, was, I had a late night, late night last night because one of my girls, uh, her, her food did not sit well with her uh, for dinner. And we had a late night of her... Um, 
spending a lot of time in, in the bathroom. And it was not a good time for her. But the whole time I was like, man, I just I, I wish I could take this away from you. I wish you weren't feeling sick. I weren't, wish you were better. I wish I could do it. I would do anything in the world to make you feel better right now. So I completely understand where these parents are coming from. They're bringing their kids. They're like, if, Jesus, if this guy is, is who he says he is, if this is the guy that other people are talking about, if this is true, well, then absolutely I want my kids to experience this. Well, what's interesting to me, it says that the disciples saw it and they rebuked them. The disciples were, were there with Jesus and they're like, hey, hey let's, let's get these kids out of here. This is, this is not a time for that. Let's get these kids out of here. So the first one here is the disciples rebuked them. This is kind of the onlooker's response. So people were looking around and the expectation was, was Jesus was there to teach. Jesus was there to listen, right? This is not, the, this is not time for kids. Kids at the time were not a, a high member of society. They didn't have much to offer. They weren't bringing much to the table. If they were young, they weren't doing any type of labor or work. They were kids. There really wasn't much to them. But Jesus, on the other hand, he says, let the little children come to me and don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to, the, to, the, to, belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And so Jesus is kind of addressing this expectation versus reality that you have heard it said this way, right? Culturally, these, these kids didn't bring much to the table, but Jesus said, hold on here. There, there is a lesson to be learned here. Don't turn these kids away because the kingdom of God is for people like this. The kingdom of God is for people who approach me like this. And some people look at this verse and say, well, yeah, childlike faith, right? No doubts, nothing to worry about. You show up, everything's good. But that's not what it's about. The idea here is this childlike faith is the idea that you come recognizing that you don't have anything to offer. You're not bringing your works. You're not bringing your status. You're not bringing your wealth. You're bringing nothing to the table but receiving what Jesus has for you. Jesus is making a claim about the kingdom, saying, you have heard it said this way about the kingdom, that the kingdom is about what you have to bring, your status, your wealth, maybe it's, sh maybe it's sheep, maybe it's your cattle, whatever it might be, you said the kingdom is for those who have something to bring, something to offer, something to, to kind of stand on saying, look what I've done with my life, now I can enter the kingdom. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The kingdom is for those who come with nothing. The kingdom is for those coming with this little expectation of, of having to, to, to show work, to earn what it is that they're doing. So he's making this claim about the kingdom. He's saying, hey, it is not what you think it is. It's different. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And you got to imagine those listening there were probably like, hold on, what? You have some religious leaders are saying, well, hold on, I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the religious one. I, I, look at me, I'm, I'm, I'm the one closest to God. I'm, I, look at all of what I've done. Not too long ago, he was telling a, a parable about the Pharisees praying, right? And the tax collector, who, the Pharisee was out there saying, well, look how great I am. Good thing I'm not like these sinners over here. And then the parable turns to this tax collector who doesn't even want to show his face and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is different. You've heard it said this way. Maybe even some of the religious leaders of the time, these Pharisees, are telling you this way. But I'm here to tell you it's a little bit different. Number two. This is a story that you've probably heard before. The rich young ruler. 
In verse 18, it says, A ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. I have kept all these from my youth, he said. When Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was rich. And so let's take a look at our onlooker. We see nothing, right? The disciples didn't push this guy away, say, oh, hey, we don't have time for this. There was no quabbling. There was no side talk of like, ooh, he's hanging out with the wrong kind of people. Because in reality, the disciples are saying, well, you know, if this, if this king is coming to, to dethrone the king or if the government is going to change, well, the rulers are exactly the kind of people he would need to hang out with. These are the type of relationships that he would need to have. These are the type of people that he would need to be with. There's no mention. There's no complaints. This is the kind of people the Messiah should be interacting with, right? The people with power, the people with status, the people who have pull in the community. These are the type of people that Jesus should be hanging out with. But Jesus goes on, seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, then who can be saved? He replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. He's making a claim here. Right before he says, the, the, the kingdom of God is for those who come to me like these children. And now he's going to the other end of the extreme and saying, you know how hard it is for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God? This guy walks away sad. Jesus tells him to, to sell his things and to go, and to, and to go sell his things and then come to follow me. And now that's not a command for all of us. That's not saying, hey, if you want to be a true follower of Jesus, get rid of all your stuff. But in this moment, and much like many of the moments that we're going to look at, Jesus understood what was going on in this man's heart. He understood that his, his uh, identity, his self-worth, what he thought it was what made him who he was, was his wealth, was his possessions, was the things that he was bringing to say, look at me, right? Even before he says, yes, I've kept all the commandments, right? He thought quite highly of himself. He said, hey, I, I have enough to bring to the table, but what's that one extra box I need to check to put me over? What's that one extra thing that I need to do to make sure that I have eternal life? Because, hey, I've done 99% of it, uh, so what's that one extra 1% that I need to do? And Jesus understood what was going on in his heart. He understood that the kingdom was not for people who think they have it all together. The kingdom was not for people who think they can earn their way or have uh, enough wealth or enough power or enough status or enough things to make it. He says, ultimately, hey, I want to check your heart, and the thing that is holding you back is all of your stuff. So if you want to be with me, you need to set that aside. And in that moment, that's when we realize that he wasn't quite ready to do that. He wasn't ready to let go of what he had to, to, for his identity, his purpose, his, his self-worth. And of course, then the question is asked, those who are sitting around, like, well, well, then who can do it? If a, if a ruler can't do it, if a, if a Pharisee, if a religious person, if one of our higher-up status, who in the world is going to enter the kingdom? 
how, who is this for if it's not for him, right? Because there was no complaints whatsoever about this person interacting with Jesus. And he says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. That's a bold claim of, of the kingdom. That's the reality. The expectation was that these religious leaders and these powerful people and the people who have a lot to bring to the table, those are the people, obviously, that God's going to choose. But he's saying, no, 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 it's different than that. What is impossible with man is possible with me. So what you think is the absolute craziest way that, that one might enter the kingdom, that's what's possible with me. A little bit further down, we're going to be in verse 35, looking at the third encounter. As he approached, talking about Jesus, as he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road. Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what was happening. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they told him. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those in front of him told him to keep quiet. But he kept crying all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So we see a, a slight shift, right? The kids were being shooed away by the disciples, which is kind of a, kind of a strange encounter. Nobody said anything about this rich young ruler, this, this, this powerful person in the community. And then a, a blind person, somebody who would not have a whole lot to bring, somebody who was literally on the side of the road, a, a beggar, not even quite sure what's going on, uh, got a response that Jesus was in town, and instantly he was saying, son of David, son of David, which is a pretty big claim to say, oh, well, this is, this is who we're talking about. We're talking about the Messiah. We're talking about, that, that's who we're talking about. And the onlooker's response, people were telling him to keep quiet, almost to say, hey, he wouldn't be here to interact with you. You're, you're a beggar. You're, you're less than us. This, Jesus is not here for you. you just, just be, you're, you're distracting. Jesus is here for a purpose, and it is not for you. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came closer, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And I love this, because when I first read that, I was like, I just kind of read it. All right, what, do you, what do you want me to do for you? But when you think about these claims, and when you think about the statements that Jesus is making about the kingdom, I started thinking about, this is my own emphasis, my own interpretation, but I wonder if he put an emphasis, is what do you want me to do for you? Because he just got son saying, what is impossible for man is possible for me. And here, this blind person who, who doesn't have much to offer, and no hope of having his sight restored, and I almost wonder if Jesus was saying, hey, looking at this guy's heart, what, what do you want me to do for you? Because he didn't ask, well, hey, what can you do for me? Or what is it you're going to do to make this right? He's saying, what, can, what do you want me to do for you? And it was almost like he was giving this man an opportunity to pour his heart out a little bit, to see the faith. He already was calling him the son of David. And he says, Lord, which is quite a different way to, uh, than, than, the, uh, than the rich, run, rich young ruler uh, addressed him. He said, uh, Lord, he said, I want to see Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has saved you. Instantly he could see, and he began to follow him, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Because what is impossible for man is possible with God. 
The expectation was that Jesus was not here for the likes of a blind person on the side of the road. That person didn't bring anything to society. That person wasn't bringing anything to the table. That person had nothing to offer. But Jesus came to him and says, what do you want me to do for you? And then he says, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Not your works, not what, you, what you're bringing to the table, not your wealth, not your status, not what you're storing up for yourself here on earth, but it is your faith that has saved you. And as a result, people were praising God because of what they had seen. Now, our, our last encounter here is kind of where I think we're going to spend uh, the bulk and see, see the, the pinnacle of what Jesus is talking about when it comes to this idea of, uh, um, of the upside-down kingdom, this, this different approach to what he was talking about. Our fourth encounter here picks it up in verse 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, uh, and he was rich, which is kind of interesting that they add that detail in there. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So he was running ahead, and he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass uh, that way. And so I have a picture here. Oh, getting ahead here. That's a picture of a sycamore tree, all right? And we found, and that, that guy's even, that's, that's not a small tree. Uh, it kind of reminded me, I was, I was looking at it, I had a chuckle. Uh, one, of, uh, one of my students, uh, well, his, his, what we'll call him, rhymes with Egan Vini, uh, I was at our house one time, we had a bunch of students over, and we have a big oak tree in our backyard. And uh, I, I look over one time, and I see Keegan about like 20 feet up in my tree. And I was sitting there like, what in the world are you doing? Uh, I, was, I was a little nervous that he was going to fall out of the tree, but he just wanted to climb a tree. And so I, I get it. And I'm pretty sure if I was his age, I would have done the exact same thing. Uh, but here we see this encounter of Zacchaeus uh, being, being a tax collector. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But he wanted to see what was going on. And the same way the blind man wanted to say, all right, what, what is happening? What is the commotion? Uh, Zacchaeus is kind of having a similar thing. So he's climbing up this tree because he wanted to see what the commotion was about. What was, who was this Jesus guy? What was he doing? I need to get a peek of it. And I'm not going to sing the song about Zacchaeus, but I'm sure that's one of the things that was going on in your mind uh, as we entered this story. But uh, what I find funny is that that's not even the most important part of the story. I mean, we talk about that. Uh, but really, there is so much more. There is so much more depth to, to it than his height. So, but there we are. Picture yourself. Maybe you put yourselves in the shoes of Zacchaeus, uh, trying to understand who is this Jesus guy and what is he doing. And so when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. Which is probably pretty interesting because uh, I'm sure Zacchaeus wasn't looking for attention. He wasn't looking to have a conversation with Jesus he was, he was a tax collector, and he was rich. Uh, and if we know anything about tax collectors, uh, now tax collectors were typically Jews uh, serving the Romans by collecting taxes for them, right? So uh, the Jews were not a fan of the Romans taking their money. And when a Jew decided to team up and said, well, hey, let me help you take the Jewish people's money, uh, they were uh, often not seen as uh, somebody that was well-liked. Oftentimes when we see in Scripture, we talk about uh, when they say people who are not kind of worthy, they call them the tax collectors and the sinners. Like the tax collectors have their own category of, of ugliness 
right? There's sinners, but then there's, then there's the tax collectors, the people who pretty much turn their back on their very own people. And to go a little bit more in depth, uh, on top of that, so the Romans didn't actually pay these tax collectors. Uh, they didn't make a wage. So the way that they made money was to skim off the top. So if you had owed $100 in taxes, they'd probably charge you 120 give 100 to the Romans, and take 20 and stick it in their pocket, right? Which obviously was infuriating to the Jews. We say, not only are you working with the people who are overseers, who are taking our money, you're now even taking more than you need. So that's why you get your own category of ugliness and sinfulness. And so as long as the Roman quota was met, they could kind of go about and do whatever they wanted. They could take as much as they want. They could rip people off. And they, then they showed off with the nice clothes that they have that said that you could look at him and tell that he was rich. And so, so Zacchaeus knew that he was not a, a welcomed member of the Jewish community. He had a job to do, and he did it. And so, but he had an idea. He wanted to see what Jesus was like. So he wasn't looking for a conversation. He wasn't looking to be included. But Jesus knew what was going on. And I believe, much like we've seen in these other encounters, that there was intentionality with it. There was a purpose for this encounter, that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. As he was walking into Jericho, he knew exactly what he was going to be doing. So, he says, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So, he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. And all who saw it began to complain, he's gone to stay with a sinful man. Right? This is not somebody that Jesus should be hanging around with. This is not the kind of people that a Messiah should be with. This is not the kind of people that a new king should be around. These are the tax collectors and the sinners. These are the people that we don't like. These are the people that we will, we will not welcome to dinner. They are not coming to, to, to dinner with us on Shabbat, right? They are not welcome. But Zacchaeus in this moment was welcomed. I said he welcomed joyfully because he was seen as somebody that would spend time with Jesus. This person who everybody else was casting aside and saying, nope, you're not one of us. Jesus said, hey, I'm, I'm here for you. Let's, let's go to your house. Let's have a meal together. Because that's what's saying, hey, we're, we're in this together. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to the house, to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now, there's kind of an interesting thing here, this, this, this claim that he makes. It says, I'll give half my possessions. Right away, just experiencing Jesus, there is a dramatic heart change in Zacchaeus. It wasn't based on what he did. It wasn't based on anything that he brought to the table. Being in the presence of Jesus and experiencing the life change that that happened by, by experiencing the conversation and being in relationship with Jesus, he says, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Which is interesting because the rich young, the rich young ruler had to be told, hey, I, I know your heart, and here's what I'm asking you to do, and he wouldn't want to do it. Jesus didn't tell him to give away his stuff. 
Jesus didn't do any of that. What we see is a heart change in Zacchaeus. And as I was studying this, it's, it was a little uh, uh, pretty cool. Uh, Warren Wearsby, one of the commentators, says, Under the Mosaic law, if a thief voluntarily confessed his crime, he had to restore what he took, add one-fifth to it, and bring a trespass offering to the Lord. Right? So one can make a claim that, that uh, Zacchaeus was, was doing this. Right? He had been stealing from the Jewish people. Yeah, but he's coming forward. So you know what I've stolen? I'm going to give it back. So what, he, what would have been sufficient would be to restore what he took, add one-fifth to it, and bring back a trespass offering for the Lord. That would have been sufficient. It goes on, if he stole something he could not restore, he had to repay fourfold, and if he was caught with the goods, he had to repay double. Zacchaeus did not quibble over the terms of the law. He offered to pay the highest price because his heart had truly been changed. He offered to pay fourfold for something that was able to be restored. So under Mosaic law, if he was not able to restore it, that's when he would have had to pay fourfold back. But he was able to, but his heart was so overcome with what Jesus had done. He said, I'm going to the full extent. And what I love about this is what a picture of the gospel that is. Jesus just got done saying, hey, what is impossible with man is possible with me. Zacchaeus had just experienced the impossible. He could not restore himself. He could not save himself. But Jesus, being the one who can do the impossible, says, hey, salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus' response was to give, even though he could restore those funds, he knew what had been changed in his life was something that could never go back. He had experienced a salvation beyond anything that he could do on his own. And I love it's kind of interesting staying a, a little bit of this because he too is a son of Abraham. Now, those listening would probably not have been a fan of that, right? Abraham, that's their guy, right? He, he's the one that we're relying on, the promises of our, right? The, the many nations, I will bless the world through you, right? The, 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 the Jesus would come from the line of Abraham, and now you're telling me that this tax collector, this sinner, this person who was siding with the Romans, this person who was uh, just betraying all of his Jewish people, you're telling that he is a son of Abraham? Paul says in Galatians uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, says, You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you, so those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, who had faith. So Jesus is making a claim about the kingdom right here. He's saying, You know what? You may think that you're far from God. You may not think that you are in the family, but those who have faith in me, they're a part of the family. The kingdom is for those who have faith. It's not for what you bring to the table. It's not for what you have to offer. It's not your power and status. It's not even your lineage, right? That was an important time. Oh, I'm, I'm in the lineage of David, or I'm in the lineage of, of what, fill in the blank. Lineage was important, but Jesus is saying, hey, it's bigger than that. It is not even about lineage, it says, today salvation has come to the house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Now, some of the religious leaders right there, if they, were, if they knew their scripture text, if they knew it, they might be thinking back. This comes from Ezekiel 34, the prophet Ezekiel. It says, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I will seek the lost 
bring back the strays, bandage the injured, and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice. This is the declaration of the Lord. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, and strengthen the weak. Jesus is saying the kingdom is different than what you've expected. I'm here for the strays. I'm here for the brokenhearted. I'm here for the people who know that they can't earn their way to anything. I'm here for the people who come to me knowing they have nothing to offer. I'm here for the people who recognize their heart is not in the right place. I'm here for the people who are ostracized. I'm here for the people who are on the outside. I'm here for the people who are broken, who have nothing left but for me to redeem them. The kingdom is not for the wealthy. The kingdom is not for the people who have it all together. The kingdom is not for the people who think they can earn their way or work their way or do enough to get it like the rich young ruler did. He said, hey, I've got it all taken care of, but I need that one little last checkbox. The kingdom is for the broken. God is a promise keeper. That's something that we've studied a lot in, in our middle school ministry, that God is a promise keeper, that over and over again throughout Scripture, we see God make his promises and then keep them. That his character is one who is faithful, who is trustworthy, who says or who does what he says he is going to do. And it is just as true here in this text. It's as if Jesus is saying, I have come to make right what is wrong. You had this expectation of what you thought the kingdom was going to be like. You had this expectation of what you thought I was going to be like, the Messiah was going to be like. You had this expectation of how I might come and, uh, and overthrow the government or bring armies, but I'm telling you the kingdom is different. The kingdom is different than what you are thinking. So what does this mean for us? Now I would imagine if you were to, to take a few moments, maybe even go back this week and read some of these encounters, who might you relate with? Who in this story you say, you know what, I, I feel for that person, or I've experienced that. I've, I've, in my life, I've felt like I've been on the outside before. In my life, I have felt like I, I was trying to earn my way and have it all together. I have felt like I've, I've tried to, to, to do enough to, to make God love me, or feel like I check enough boxes, go to church on Sunday, uh, do, do whatever I need to do to, to, to earn God's love, to earn God's favor. Or maybe the opposite, saying, you know what, I, I, there's never been enough. I just, I've never felt like enough. I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm an outcast. I feel like I'm a tax collector. Everybody else might look at me and say, man, what is that person doing? That's a, that person is on the outside. So how do we respond? I think there's a couple ways that we respond. One, if you're a follower of Jesus today, I pray that we never forget that we were strays. I titled this message, A Kingdom Full of Strays, because each and every single one of us were at some point far from God. We were on the outside. We could bring nothing to the table to make us, or make us righteous. We could bring nothing to the table to make us right before God. But God, through his love, sent his son Jesus so that we would receive the grace and the mercy only because of what Jesus has done, Right? A little bit earlier, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. I've come to do what I need to do so that I can make you have a right relationship with God again through your faith, not by your works, but through your faith. So if you're a follower of Jesus here today, what is your faith like? Are you living in, in that trust-dependent relationship on Jesus, knowing that this was nothing that you could have done on your own, that we were all strays 
at one point, and because of what God has done, he has brought us into the family so that we too are sons and daughters of Abraham. We are a part of the family because of our faith, not because of our works. And are you using that truth, that dependence, that recognition that God is, is all that we need? Maybe that's where we use our sphere of influence and the people that God has placed in our life to point others back to Christ. One of the things that we've been talking a lot and about our, our elders meetings uh, is the idea of being ready to share your testimony, being ready to tell other people what God has done, being ready to say, you know what, I, I was astray. I was lost. I was broken. There was nothing that I could do. I was dead to right. But let me tell you how my life changed through Jesus. Let me tell you how God has redeemed me. Let me tell you how God has brought me from a place of brokenness to a place of wholeness, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Are you ready to tell your story? When, people place, when God places people in your life who he's given you a burden for, Maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe it's somebody you go to school with. Maybe it's somebody you play sports with. Whatever it might be, God has placed you there intentionally. And I believe wholeheartedly that wherever God has placed you, he's given you the tools and the resources needed to do what he's called you to do. Maybe it's a conversation. It may not be an easy conversation. It might get those butterflies in the stomach saying, what if they ask the wrong question? Or what if I don't know an answer? Or whatever it might be. But I promise you God has given you the tools that you need to do the things that he asked you to do. Scripture says that he has created works for us in advance because we are God's workmanship. He, he was intentional, right? He's created in you exactly what you need to do the works that he had planned for you ahead of time. So are you willing to take that next step? Are you willing to be one of those workers that goes out into the harvest with our eyes open and say, all right, you know what? I, God, give me a burden for those around me. Help me to see the people around me and what they might be going through so that I can be a point of light. That God might use me and my story to help somebody take that next step of faith. That God might use my story to plant a seed for the Holy Spirit to water to where life change can happen because we are willing to be used by God. But maybe you're not a follower of Jesus today. And maybe you've struggled with, hey, I don't feel like I'm enough. Or I don't know what else to do. I feel like I've tried enough. I feel like I'm struggling with here. Or I, I don't know where I'm going here. The wonderful truth is that God is here for you, wherever you are. You may think, I am just too far from God. If you knew what was going on in my life, if you knew what was going on in the inside, if you knew what was going on at home, if you knew what was going on, whatever, fill in the blank, we could come up with a thousand reasons why we think that God wouldn't love us, that we wouldn't be enough for God, or we've strayed too far. Like, there's no way God could forgive this. And Jesus made it very clear. I have come to seek and save the lost. I'm here to bring back the strays. I'm here to bandage the injured. I'm here to strengthen the weak. I'm here for you. This is not about what you have to offer me. It's not about what you think if you're good enough, like the whole idea of like taking a shower to, to come before God, right? We can come broken and messy knowing that that is why he is here. Not for us to get our act together before we come. So I want to challenge you if you're not a follower of Jesus. And maybe you're watching on the live stream if you stuck around long enough. Um, are you willing to take that next step of faith? To ask a question? Maybe have a conversation? Maybe pray? And see what God does with it? Because I would be willing to bet if you were to really to, to open your hands and say, you know what, I'm going to stop holding on to, to the things that I'm holding on to 
and offer it to God, you would be amazed at what God might do through that. Because the kingdom is not for the people who have it all together. The kingdom is for the strays. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truth that we see in your word. We thank you that we can rest knowing that it is you who have done the work. God, you paid the ultimate price, um, the ultimate debt. God, that we could not do it on our own. There was no way that we can measure up, but God, you loved us so much that you were willing to do it for us. And so I pray that wherever we are in our faith journey today, um, I pray that we would be willing to take that next step. Maybe it's to be used by you to further your kingdom. Or maybe it's just to take that first step towards you and away from the brokenness. God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts, that you would prepare our hearts for what you would have us do. And we thank you that we could trust you. We thank you that we can be dependent on you and have nothing to bring, but you are there to welcome us with open arms because you were there for the lost and the brokenhearted. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.